This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. We're in Isaiah chapter 43, starting in verse 1. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. Let's talk mission statements a little bit. Organizations often will come up with a mission statement to keep them on track toward a particular goal or end, and they're important for that reason. But too often, mission statements don't really tell the whole story. And they're not truly and actual, actually the mission of the organization. Take, for example, Apple. Here's Apple's mission statement. Now, if you don't know, I love Apple. I have an iPhone. I have a MacBook. Uh, I, I'm kind of an Apple guy. But here's the, the Apple mission statement. It says this, um, bringing the best user experience to customers through innovative hardware, software, and services. And I can see that they really do attempt to bring the best, and they make hardware, software, all of that. But um, here's the deal. That mission statement says nothing about making money. And if you ever purchase an Apple product, you know there's something in there about making some profit for Apple. Uh, they're not a nonprofit, okay? Uh, they make some cash on what they do. And so the mission statement, though, good, it doesn't quite tell the whole story. And do they really, really live on, on mission? Well, uh, here's the reality. You might not have an actual statement that you have written and hung up on your mirror or your refrigerator or whatever, but all of us live for something every day. We all have a mission that we're driving for. We all have an inner motivation that pushes us to do the things that we do. And I'm wondering if if we really have the right mission statement that tells the whole story of why we were created and why we were put here. Today we are talking about our mission statement here at Redemption, and uh, I'm excited to talk about that. Um, And uh, I wanna push us once again as a church to that mission statement. This is rounding out our series on We Are the Church. So we've talked about why church membership, we believe, is a very biblical concept. We talked about why the church is important. We walked through each of our distinctives and kind of set a biblical foundation as to why each of these distinctives are very important. And uh, last week, we added a new distinctive. If you didn't quite get a chance to learn about that, check that uh, sermon out, check that message out to hear the new distinctive aligned partner and what all that means. Uh, But we want to end the series today, and we want to end it uh, about the mission statement, because I want to call us each to this. Because I, I wonder, in a church like ours, in a day like ours, what messages are really pervading in our life? 
Because so often, Americans in general live for something different than the glory of God and making disciples through the power of the gospel. Very often, Americans tend to live for the pursuit of happiness. You deserve to be happy. You should be happy. Live for your happiness. And when you stop and really contemplate and think about why do I do what I do in my life? How much of what I say and what I do and where I go and the activities that I do really have more to do with my individual happiness and my pursuit of being happy than about what I'm called to do, and that is to bring God glory. So church, my challenge to you today is this. It's time. It's time to live my life on the mission that God has given me. It's time to live my life on the mission that God has given me. So here again is uh, the mission statement of Redemption Bible Church. I'll put it up on the screen for you. We talk about it a lot, but uh, we exist to glorify God by making disciples through the power of the gospel. How many of you knew before walking into the room today that that was our church's mission statement? You can go and lift your hand up. How many of you knew that? All right, so the vast majority of us knew that. Okay, this is Redemption's mission statement, but here's the problem with it. It kind of becomes the church's mission. This is what the church should be about, glorifying God and making disciples of the power of the gospel. So that's what we do over there at the church. And that's what the pastors do. And that's what Scott and Linnea do. And that's what the elders are all about. And we kind of relegate that to an institution. And what I want to tell you this morning is that the only reason why this is our mission statement as an institution is because it's first our mission statement as individuals. We didn't get this because God said, this is the mission statement of the church. We, we got this for our, what God tells believers we're to be about. This isn't just a church's mission statement. This is my mission statement. This is our mission statement. And today, I want to press this down further. And I really want to challenge you to say, what are you actually driven by? And what are you actually living for? So we're going to take this apart, phrase by phrase, glorify God by making disciples for the power of the gospel. Now, full disclosure, the vast majority of the sermon is going to be taking up in the first portion of this, to glorify God. I want to talk about that. I want to dive into that. One of the reasons why I'm doing that is we just heard a sermon from Mark Flegge about making disciples. So I don't want to preach a whole another. We've had two sermons on Matthew 28 here recently. So I don't want to do another one of those. And so we'll, we'll touch on it and talk about how it applies and how it should impact our daily lives. And then we also just heard from Josh Rang about what it means to live gospel-centered. Again, I'll touch on that and we'll talk about it. But I really want to focus on this first key element and what does it actually mean to glorify God. And for this, we're going to set some biblical principles and then we're going to get practical as to what that actually means. So let's start with this, to glorify God. And I want to talk about some of the principles that we see from this text, Isaiah 43. Now, I love this passage of scripture uh, because it really says very succinctly what the Bible kind of assumes all throughout its pages. It really says very clearly, this is why I created you, and this is why you should live for my glory. So I want to unpack this a little bit to help you see something this morning. This is the reason why you are here. You have something that your neighbor probably doesn't have, a meaning and a purpose founded on the creator. But the creator created you for something. And what that is is found right here in the text. So let's start up here in verse number one again. And I love this beautiful, beautiful passage, Isaiah 43, verse number one. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Now the temptation for you to say, okay, well, this isn't for us. We're the church and this is Israel. This isn't for us at all. Oh, I want to pull back a little bit to say, um, let's take a look at this carefully because I believe without question, this is for you and I. So let, let's show you why I believe that. We're going to give you three kind of key foundational principles that are important here for you to understand. And I really hope that understanding these three foundational principles from the text is really going to help drive you to 
shrink this gap in your life between what you know the mission is and what you actually live for. And so here are these three principles. Principle number one, let's talk about redemption. Name of our church, and let's unpack it here a little bit because he says right here in the end of verse number one, fear not. Well, oh, I love that. I was tempted and right now still am to go and preach a whole nother message on fear not. Do you know this is the most often repeated command in all of scripture? More than 365 times the Bible says, do not fear, fear not, do not be afraid. For those of us who struggle with anxiety, it's a real comforting thing, but look at why we should not fear. Because why? For I have, it says there, I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. We have been redeemed. You have been redeemed. What does that mean though? What is redemption? Sometimes the best illustrations are biblical illustrations. And it wasn't so long ago that we preached through the book of Hosea. And do you remember Hosea? God told Hosea, a prophet, to go marry a woman of ill repute, to go marry a woman of whoredom, uh, and her name was Gomer. And God uh, told uh, Hosea to marry her, and he did. And then in verse number, or chapter three of Hosea, the Lord says this, after she had left him and went back to her previous life, and was, was back as a slave in that environment. Uh, the Bible says this, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lectic of barley. It's bought back is what redeemed is. She had sold herself back into slavery, but then Hosea comes and purchases her her from that slave market back into his care and his love and his protection. And this is what God has done with you. We have sold ourselves into the slavery of sin. And be honest with your own heart this morning. Too often, when sin knocks at the door, we answer. Too often, when the temptation comes up, we give ourselves to it again and again. But God, in his love, didn't want to leave you bound to sin, that cruel, cruel master. God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus died for our sin, and he was the price that was paid. His blood, his body was shed to purchase us, to redeem us back into his care and his love. And as a result of that, we should have a life dedicated to him. Hosea 3, this is interesting. Hosea says to her after purchasing her, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You see, church, listen, the redeemed have an obligation to the redeemer. The redeemed have an obligation to the redeemer. And you were bought at a price. And we have been redeemed. In fact, Colossians 1 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have, what's the word, church? Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We just forget this too quickly. And you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to have a job to get to and responsibilities and all kinds of things, that car to fix, the bills to pay. And you're going to just long for a little bit of happiness in your life. I'm telling you, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to do things that bring you joy and comfort as long as the central focus of your life is not your joy and your comfort. But as a redeemer, And we have an obligation to a God who, oh, thank you, Lord. I was on my own path living in this darkness, but now I'm a king of the, I'm a son of the king. I'm a daughter of the king. I've been purchased. And only that because you've redeemed me. So yeah, is this for us? Listen, if Israel can say they were redeemed, how much more can we who know Jesus Christ say we've been redeemed? 
thought maybe I'd get a witness there too, but that's all right. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep preaching. So we see redemption. One of the key principles here is redemption. Here's another key principle here to notice, and that is identity, identity. He says there, not only uh, I have redeemed you, again, verse number one, fear not, for I have redeemed you, such a rich word. Watch this, I have called you by name. I've called you by name. Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, to be called by name points to Israel's special relationship with the Lord as his covenant people. This is similar to a shepherd calling his sheep by name in his personal care for them. Oh, it's so pretty. It's such a beautiful picture. Speaking of beautiful pictures, Grant, I love you. I'm sorry. This is uh, my son, and he was born, and I called him by name. I said, you are Grant. Alexander. And not only did I call him by name, having that authority and that right as his father, I brought Grant into my home and I cared for him and raised him and loved him. He was mine. He's my son. So you owe me big time, bud. All right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. God called you by name. Do you know that not every nation was called by name, right? Only Israel was called by name. And do you know that today, not everyone who walks this planet is going to heaven and is God's child. That's not how it works. We're not born children of God. We're born children of the devil. There has to come a point in time when that calling of the name is realized in our life and he gives us the faith to believe and we believe and we call on him and then again he calls us to be saved to his own glory and his family and we get a part of that and it's a beautiful thing not only does he call us by name church look at this he says i've called you by name and i love this look at this in fact, read these last three words in uh, Isaiah 43, one with me. Here we go. You are mine. Isn't that beautiful? You are mine. So let's talk ownership a little bit. Not only have we, redemption, a key idea. Identity is a key idea. Ownership. God says you are mine. Now, that word ownership may not sit well, but when you think about who God is, it's a very beautiful thing to be called God's. I am the Lord's and he is mine. It's a beautiful thing. So here's a little, a little cheesy moment into the married life of Jamie and Courtney, okay? So this is just your little bit of window here to see into our marriage a little bit, but Courtney kind of likes it when I call her my Courtney. When I say, hey, baby, you're my Courtney. Or I'm talking to somebody and I say, oh, my Courtney does this. She says, I just kind of like you when you call me yours. And I get that. If she says, oh, it's my Jamie, that's, ooh, that's all right, I like that. I like being Courtney's Jamie. Why? Because she's my special person and I'm her special person and we are each other's and we've committed our life to one another. It's a beautiful thing. And if that doesn't work for you, then think Toy Story and getting Andy written on the bottom of, maybe that'll work for you. I don't know, but you know, Woody was all excited about being Andy's and his name was written there. And, and, and God says to you, you're mine. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. Isn't that a wonderful place to be? Boy, it makes me feel so secure and cared for and loved. I am God's and he is mine. Now, it's important to see this. There's a reason you've been redeemed. There's a reason he's called you by name. There's a reason why you're his. And though he loves you and he wants you to enjoy this life he's given you for sure, he's a good God and every good gift comes from him. But the purpose is so much deeper than just our happiness. Look at verse number seven. Everyone who is called by my name 
whom I created, church, read it, for my glory, whom I formed and made. The Bible has us all over the place. We're gonna look at a few more places, but few places are as succinct and to the point as this one. I've redeemed you for a reason. I've called you by name for a reason. I created you and formed you. You are formed in your mother's womb by the very hand of God, but for a reason, and that reason was God's glory to live for him and his name. So let's just take a minute here and talk a little bit about what does that actually mean? Because I am quite confident you've heard that before. In fact, we talk about this verse quite a bit, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, amen? You about that? So what are you actually gonna do tomorrow differently because of this calling? What does it actually look like? I think this is where the confusion sets in. We know that that's true, but what does it mean for me? How do I do that? Well, I wanna talk about this a little bit and let's look at God's glory in the Bible just for a second here. There's a few illustrations that might help us understand this a little bit when it comes to God's glory in the Bible. One of the ways that God's glory is portrayed in the Bible is as light. So glory and light. Think pillar of fire. Think burning bush. This idea of a light that shines and illuminates That's the idea there. Question real quick. Do we have light fixtures in this room? How do you know? None of you are staring at the light fixtures right now. But there is something emanating from the light fixtures that, listen, give evidence to the fact that there are light fixtures in this room. By the way, I originally wrote light bulbs. And then I'm like, I don't think we even have a light bulb in this. Do we have light bulbs anymore? What happened to light bulbs? Uh, Anyway, now we have light bars and light fixtures, but you know there's a light fixture because you can see the evidence and it's spilling out. And what's casting on your Bible right now is saying, there is something, there is something shining, there is something there. It's declaring, in a sense, the evidence of the fact that there are light fixtures. Another way that uh, the Bible uses um, glory is fame, It's what we mean by the name of the Lord. The name is the fame, the reputation of the Lord. There are a few names I can say, and you can tell me something about that name. Like if I said Taylor Swift, something comes to mind. This is really embarrassing. I don't mean this to be righteous because I like a lot of music. Uh, I can't think of one song. I don't know one song by Taylor Swift. But most people do. I'm like weird that way because like, of course, Taylor Swift, there's this or this. She's known. She has a name. She's a songwriter. She's an artist. I'm told she has some really bad breakups along the way. Um, So you know something about that. Or Gordon Ramsay or Bobby Flay. I say a name and you're like, oh, that guy can cook or that guy's whatever. Michael Jordan, I say a name and his fame follows the name. People have declared, oh, this guy is amazing. Or if I were to talk up Courtney's name, I would say, man, can she cook? She makes this Alfredo roll. Some of you have her Alfredo roll-ups. That's what she brings when she, you know, babies and all that. She loves, and, and they're so delicious. There's a little, you know, it's like almost like a little casserole with Alfredo sauce and chicken, and, and that's just one of her many dishes. And, and not only that, but she's a loving wife, and she's a good mother, and I'm proclaiming to you the fame of Courtney. I'm, I'm telling you about her name, and that's how the Bible describes glory as a fame. But here again, I think there's a good verse that summarizes what it really means to live for God's glory, and that verse is First uh, Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Can't you just lay that first part just right on top of Isaiah 43? You've been redeemed, called by name, and you are mine. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. But why, but why? Same principle said a little differently here. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim. 
the excellencies of God. That's what it means to bring him glory. I'm gonna tell the world how amazing and incredible and magnificent my God is. I'm gonna proclaim his excellencies. It's what is meant by Psalm 19.1, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. I mean, look at this picture. And you look at that beautiful picture coming up right now. That, and it says, sorry, Amber. Uh, but uh, I, I'm trying to keep up, Pastor. Uh, but that picture just, just screams, God is amazing, God's incredible. Look at how amazing my God is. It's just telling you. It's showing forth the amazing creation of our God. And that's why you were saved. So let's take this idea of whether we eat or drink, whatever you do to offer the glory of God. Let's take that idea and let's dive down a little bit into it because I want to help you understand something about this. So let's just take, for example, one of God's greatest creations, coffee. Can I get a witness? Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's some among us who have not yet come to realize how wonderful this is. And I think it's just appropriate to, even right now, let's have a word of prayer for those who are still. <laughs> but I can sip, uh, I, I mean, it's just so, like it's a seed is what it is, right? These coffee beans are really just a little pit in a berry on, the, on, on this tree, this, this coffee tree, in a bush really. And, and, and you take that seed and you roast it and you grind it and you put some hot water on it and heaven comes down. And, and you can sip that coffee, you can say, God, you are amazing. You can. God, thank you for this coffee. Thank you for the, the delicious. And if it's not coffee for you, I get it. Obviously, I'm teasing about you have to be saved, and if you don't, you're not drinking coffee, you're probably not saved. I didn't say that, so, <clears throat> but I am saying that you can take, I don't know, what is, it, what is it for you? Ribs? Bacon, there we go. Why don't I think of bacon? And you can think, God, thank you. Thank you for the deliciousness that you've given us, and that can be a way of bringing God glory. So what does this actually mean for me? Hey, just thank God and speak up about it. Here, babe, I made you some coffee. Isn't God good to give us this, to help us get up on a Monday morning and get after our lives? Isn't he good? Hey, kids, let's thank God for these mashed potatoes. Like, God gave us his root that we can mash up and put butter, and, and it's just delicious. And let's thank God for that. But when you act, it's really interesting. When you actually take 1 Corinthians 10 in context, there's another way we can use coffee to glorify God. And, and that is this. In 1 Corinthians 10, what it actually is, is Paul's answering a question, can we, meet the, can we eat the meat offered to idols? And Paul says, it all depends. It all depends on whether or not it will hinder the gospel or help the gospel. That's the real question. Will it hinder the gospel or help the gospel to eat this meat? If it helps it, then I'm gonna eat the meat. If it hinders it, I'm not gonna eat the meat. So here's the verse. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, not living for my own happiness, but that uh, of many that they may be saved. Man, if I can drink coffee around someone who doesn't know the Lord and have an opportunity to preach Jesus to that person, then bring on the coffee. And I'm gonna use that event of coffee to proclaim how good God is as he has saved me. And what better story do you have in the goodness of the Lord than I was lost, but now I'm found? And we can take that event of sipping coffee together and I can use it as an opportunity to preach the gospel with somebody who doesn't know. That's living for his glory. And you're gonna drink coffee. I mean, most of us. Can I get a witness? You're gonna eat lunch. You're gonna have dinner. Why not take all these things as opportunities of bringing people along with you to talk about your Jesus? Listen, I'll say it again. Why not take all these things as opportunities to bring people along with you to talk about your Jesus, that he redeemed you and he called you by name 
and you are his. And I just want to tell you how wonderful it is to live as God's child, as someone who's forgiven. I want to just tell you about what it means to be rescued from darkness into light. Okay, a lot of teaching there. Like I warned you, this is all setting the principles. We're at 1A. This is as far as we made it so far today. 1A, church. The rest goes fast, though. So uh, let's talk about then getting practical, getting practical. Okay, all right. So now, question. Is that the mission for the church? To glorify God. Is that the mission for the church? It is. And I can go to Ephesians 3.21, where it says, now to him be glory in the church. That's absolutely true. But again, let's not just push that to the institution. Let's own it as individuals. So getting practical. How often this week, look back, did you ever think about, I'm gonna bring God glory today? I'm gonna use the things that I do, eat, drink, whatever, and I'm gonna seize every opportunity I can to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. <clears throat> Your coworkers need it. My coworkers need it, and I think they're all saved. <laughs> I need it. I need reminders of how great my God is and how much Jesus loves me. But the world needs it. But the reality is, if you are honest with yourself and you look back, was that, play the why game. Why did I go to work? Why did I make money? Why do I want to make money? Well, I support my family. Why do you want to do that? And you get the end of that, often it's, well, because I really want to enjoy my life <laughs> to some level. Again, not bad to enjoy your life, but I want something else to be the root driver of that. Church, there is a missional gap in our lives. We know the mission, but we don't actually live for the mission and something motivated your life this weekend, chances are it had more to do with your happiness and God's glory. And it's time. It's time to say, no more of that. It's time to live for the mission that God has given me, and that mission is his glory. What are some motivations that people live for? They live for all kinds of things, but at their root, mostly is their own happiness. What are motivations the world is constantly telling me to live for because the message of the world is pounding you and it's pushing you to live for something else. If you were to create an honest mission statement about how you actually normally live life, what would really be at the center? It's time to do some evaluation and to say, God, help me. So now what will that mean? Let's, let's, let's glorify God. I hope that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit this morning about Principle number two here, the second part of our mission statement. Yes, glorify God by making disciples. By making disciples. So we're gonna go back to uh, Matthew 28. I'm not gonna spend a great deal of time here, but let's just talk a little bit, remind ourselves of some things we've already talked about as a church. So Matthew chapter 28, and let's look specifically at verse number 18 again, Matthew 28, 18. We'll get a good idea of what God's called us to again here, Matthew 28, 18, which says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As Mark put it, having gone also can be understood as as you were going. So since you're already out living life, here's what you do. What is it again, church? Make disciples. And as Mark pointed out, that's really one command, disciple, disciple. Okay, so church's mission statement, amen? But he's not giving it here just to a whole church. He's actually giving it to disciples already, individual people, disciple. Remember, he's given you a conferred control. As Mark pointed out, that is the authority he's given. He's given a clear command, make disciples, and he's given constant comfort. I am with you always. The I am is with us, but with us for what purpose? So that you would make what? Disciples. So, who is your disciple? Your kids, I hope. 
I think that's easy to say. My kids are my disciples. And good. Now, by the way, them just living under your home, under your roof, doesn't make them your disciple. You tracking with me on this? Them just being at your house every day doesn't mean that you are focusing on them as disciples. Oftentimes, we care a whole lot more about if our kids are obedient than about why they're obedient. And oftentimes, we take an ownership mentality of our children instead of an ambassador mentality. I am the hands of God to them. I am the voice of God to them, and I want to show them how beautiful Jesus is so they will love Jesus passionately. If they can love Jesus, so many other things fall into line. It's about a passion of Christ for them. But I hope that that's not your only disciple. I hope that you have other people you're pouring into and investing in. The participles, remember, baptizing, teaching, all of that's a part of what we're to do. And again, the question is, okay, we know, we know it. We're to be making disciples. If you don't have somebody right now that you are discipling actively outside of your home, let's get that accomplished. Let's get you with people. Let's, let's do this and have you make disciples. Not only discipleship, but also this for the glory. So this is now, that, again, that was very fast. For making disciples, that's point number two. Making disciples, and then here's now point number three, the last portion of this. Again, Josh Rain did a great job, but I want to point this out. Make disciples through the power of the gospel, through the power of of the gospel. One last passage, if you would turn to John, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15. We're just kind of recapping here now, reviewing things we've already learned, but here's 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number one says this. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the church gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I love this. Of first importance, this gospel in which we stand, And the whole point of this is every time you see a command of God, you also see a gospel connection. Every time God says, do this, he says, why you should. And the why you should is the gospel. Husbands, love your wives. What does it say then? As Christ loved the church. Command, love your wife. Gospel connection, as Christ loved the church. The Bible says, receive one another as God in Christ Jesus has received you. The command, receive one another. The connection, as God received you. It's all throughout scripture, time and time again, uh, command of God, gospel connection. Here's the point. Your life on mission should flow out of the gospel. Say that with me. Your life on mission should flow out of the gospel. Everything we do as a church should flow, motivated, tied to, founded on the gospel. Back again to the gospel, back again to the gospel. Are you really making gospel connections in your life? This past week, did you preach the gospel to yourself? Did you find that as your motivation and that power? If that's a struggle, go back and listen to that message and get that firmer in your life. But church, you will live a life. You will live for something. And my prayer, my challenge is it's time. It's time. I'm gonna close and then Pastor Adam is gonna come for a few minutes. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for this challenge. We just pray that you would help us to receive it deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Adam. So one of the things that was deeply impactful to us in Africa was just this idea of not rushing past the word um, and taking some time to consider and pray and press into the word and what God is doing in your heart even right now in prayer. And so I want to do that this morning as we consider this idea. And so I just want to give you a couple prompts and things for you to just think about and pray just to yourself. What is God teaching you in this moment? I don't want to just rush by it. God often works, meets us in his word, right? And then we rush off and we rush off to lunch. And it's so easy for it to fade so let's, let's spend some time in prayer. And the first thing 
that I really want to press us into this morning is just, Jamie asked it early, why do I do what I do in my life? Why do you do what you do in your life? Just spend some time in prayer asking God, what are the things that are motivating me right now? What, what is the motivation for why I'm living my life? Let's just take some time and just pray for that right now. God, I pray for us, the stillness of this moment, that we would not rush past this idea, but that we would be seeking your face to say, what is really motivating my life? What is really driving me to live the way that I'm living? God, I pray that you would reveal those things to us, that you would convict our hearts where they need to be convicted, that you would encourage our hearts in the, in the areas we are living for your glory, but that you would press this idea into our lives that Christ needs to be the center. He needs to be the one motivating each and everything that we do. Would you reveal those things to us now? Show us, mold us, direct us even now. In this moment, we pray. Amen. So as we think about that, then the, the next question that came to mind as Jamie was preaching is, he was talking about this missional gap, the gap between what we know and what we're actually doing. And what's creating that gap? That's what we were just praying about. But do we stop and pause and answer the question, is what I'm doing going to hinder the gospel or is it going to help the gospel? How often have we stopped and had that stop us in our tracks this week as we looked at 1 Corinthians 10.31? Let's just take some time and pray that the Lord would remind us this week, show us those opportunities to stop and pause and ask that question. Is this going to hinder the gospel or is this going to help the gospel? Let's ask God to empower us in that this morning.
how the way that we live is often so much just default mode. We need your spirit to change our hearts. We need your spirit to lift up our eyes, to get out of default mode, and to see that every opportunity around us is an opportunity for the gospel. With those who already believe and embrace the gospel, we can remind them of the the truth, the beauty of Jesus. And with those who don't yet know Jesus. But how often do we allow wanting to fit into a situation or wanting to be with a certain crowd of people or wanting to be perceived a certain way to impact the way that we do something instead of asking this question, will this hinder the gospel or help the gospel? Help us be people who pause, who reflect on how am I reflecting the glory of God? How am I reflecting the truth of the gospel in the relationships that you've put in our path as we go? Do that in this, we pray. Amen. I think the last thing that I would really like to just spend some time on in prayer is just a gratitude and thankfulness for God. When you think of the the three areas that Jamie hit on, our redemption, our identity, our ownership, we have been bought at a very high price, and that should drive us to gratitude and gratefulness for God. But you may need, before you get to that point, to just stop and pause and, and seek some repentance in some things. Seek some repentance in these temptations that we give into too often that help us to not see this, to not remember we're redeemed, that we have an identity that he has bought us. So maybe you need to spend some time in repentance, but don't, don't just stop there. Let's end with prayers of gratitude for our God, for who he is and who he has called us to be. Let's do that together now. Thank you, God. Thank you for your sovereign hand. Your sovereign hand that has brought each and every one of us here this morning. 
your sovereign hand that has orchestrated the events of our lives to help us to see Jesus, to embrace Jesus, to seek Jesus for our forgiveness. Your sovereign hand in the hard and in the good that has pressed us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. You have redeemed us. You have called us out of slavery. We don't have to be in bondage anymore because of the work of Jesus at Calvary, and yet so often I forget. And I walk as a slave in sin. I walk as though it's my own strength and my own ability. Forgive me of that. Forgive us when we forget who we are, when we forget that you've called us by name. We are a chosen people, not because of who we are, but because of your infinite grace and mercy. We are yours. Bought at a high price. Loved like no other could ever love. Thank you. Thank you for those truths. God, I pray for the people in this room that we would walk in that today that we would walk in that tomorrow, that from that, from this love that you have shown us overflowing out of that would be a desire to put the glory of your son on display to those that we come in contact with. Stir our hearts in gratitude for you, for who you are and for what you've done. And through that, would we show Jesus to the world in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. You are loved.